You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to the Essential Apple Podcast, a show where we cover the last seven to ten days in the world of Apple news, reviews, rumors, roundup, gossip, tech, and... Well, basically, anything else that catches our eye. This is the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello again, it's another Sunday, and it's a beautiful Sunday out there. Why do I seem to think that starting a podcast about the weather is a good way to do a podcast? I don't know. But we've got a short show this week because we've both got things to do on a beautiful day like this. And joining me, as always, for this episode of the Essential Apple Podcast, where we're going to be covering some actual Apple stuff, is Simon. How are we doing this week? Uh, Pretty good, Mark. Pretty good indeed. That's probably my worst podcast intro ever. (laughs) Um, I haven't got the soundboard working, but would you like to play a game? Go for it. What's in my hand? A working pair of AirPods. Sort of. Sort of. Uh, I had two fairly life-changing events this week. Number one, I officially became on the scrap heap and I joined the age bracket of 40+. plus. So yeah, that's been a, a long weekend, but... What better thing to do on the night of your birthday when you've got nothing else to do than have lots and lots of rows and chats with Apple? And literally, there is no, uh, what's the word for not familiarity? What is it? What's the word when everything is the same? Oh, anyway. Oh, transition. Oh, I'm not going to edit this bit out. There's no uh, rhyme nor reason why one agent will say the one thing and another agent will say another thing. So basically, I was having an argument because a replacement cost of AirPods was going to be £200, not 150 And they tried to tell me that they have to replace each one individually. And so I said, right, well, can I not send these back? Just get a refund and then I'll go and buy some. And the guy on the end of the chat was absolutely adamant that, no, if I wanted a refund for a product that I've bought online, I have to go to the Apple store. I kid you not. And then I'm having a conversation with him about distance selling regulations. And I actually said to him, so if you bought something from Amazon that was shipped from an Amazon warehouse across the other side of the country, you would go back to that store. And he says, well, oh, you'll have to call back in the morning. And that's when it suddenly hit me. You know, this guy was really, really not interested in speaking to me because he was trying to get me off the line no matter what he did. This chat... He was about to knock off. Yeah. This guy was apparently the most senior person in the building, which I love saying when they say that. So you're, you're telling me now on this chat, which is recorded, you are the most senior person there and there is no other point of escalation because they hate that. Anyway, uh, I don't. what was he called? Carl, I think his name was. Uh, not the Carl of the Carl Madden of the Mac and Forth show, but he was generally called Carl, apparently. Decided then to say, oh, well, I'm going to terminate this chat. So one hour, seven minutes, it took me to get absolutely nowhere. Underturbed and powered by a humongous amount of ale, I then went straight back on to chat. I mean, literally, I closed the window, went back in, and I spoke to a guy called Daniel. And I had a, I was really nice, really polite. I said, Daniel, I've got a problem. No matter what you tell me to do, I've tried it. I've got faulty AirPods. And he asked me a couple of questions. I had a lovely copied and pasted reply waiting in the wings. I banged that in. And he said, right, hold on. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. Ten minutes go past. Uh, what's your email address? Okay, give my email address. Daniel then authorises a repair return where, again, as we said last week, a charge is put against my card. This time, for £130. So actually less than the cost of the AirPods. And as I said in the Slack room, I was a bit sceptical about this because I remember entering my credit card details into a website in the phase of hog of war of being a little bit intoxicated, shall we say. And then yesterday, as I'm leaving the house, the postman comes and there's two packages. One of them is an empty box to return my AirPods. The other one, 
I think might be AirPods. So after we've done this podcast and I've gone and done some lovely Sunday afternoon shopping, I'm going to be recording a unboxing of a return package for Apple because why not? But it looks like I might have very fingers crossed AirPods that work. And this leads us nicely on to a story that we've got um, into. If you look at the show notes or if you go to centralapple.com, if you're not daft enough to go and spend £150 on some AirPods that may or may not work, I've got a selection of five AirPods which you can get for $60 or less. I'm not recommending any of these, uh, but there is one there by a company called Sound Pete's. And I reviewed their Q12 headphones on our YouTube channel. Which, and Which I believe you liked rather a lot. Yeah, it was, it was only the fact that they stuck out of my lug hole to such a weird level that you can't... I, I'm not fashion conscious or self-conscious, but even I felt a bit of a div walking around the streets with these things hanging out my ear. So that's been my week. How's yours been, Simon? Uh, well, I'm still waiting, of course, for my amazing £10 AirPods to arrive. Uh, I've checked I've checked on Amazon, and the delivery date, to be fair, was the 8th to the 20th of April. So no doubt at £10 and £1.50 to ship them, they're coming by donkey and uh, sailing barge from faraway China. But I'm sure they will get here, and then I will give them a proper review. Excellent. Excellent. Did you use our Amazon affiliate link? Uh, I believe I did. Ah, thank uh, you. Thank you very much, sir. I've got to say, considering in the grand scheme of things, you know, we are a really, really, really small podcast. I'm absolutely amazed by the amount of people that will use our Amazon affiliate link. And so a huge, huge, huge thank you uh, to all of you who go to Amazon. You don't have to buy any of the stuff that we mentioned. You just go to Amazon via our link. It really is appreciated. We are getting some nice little upgrades, uh, looking at things like a mixer that I can hook up the iPad to. So maybe... Maybe next week I can do a hardware version of getting the soundboard up on the iPad. That's the plan. Anyway, um, well, let's go into some Apple style news. I thought we did this one last week, but I can't remember if we did because uh, quite a lot of alcohol has been ingested on uh, the on my period of transition from becoming another member of the over 40 club. Uh, This one is from, tell me if we've done this one, Simon. This was from Ivor Pope in our chat room where Touch ID and Siri enabled a four-year-old boy to call emergency services to save his mum's life. A four-year-old boy was able to call the emergency services after his mother lost consciousness thanks to a combination of Touch ID and Siri. Police report that the boy from just outside London first used his mother's thumbprint to unlock a phone, then asked Siri to call 999. The British equivalent of 911. Well, of course. Releasing a recording of the emergency call, they said that the boy's actions enabled life-saving actions to be taken. It's a shame she wasn't wearing an Apple Watch, because then if he was that clever, he could have just pressed and hold it, uh, hold, held the button, uh, and it would have made that call. Speaking of which, just to divert off this story, I believe you have a new toy. I do indeed have a new toy, Mark. Um, I've been interested in an Apple Watch for, well, obviously since the Apple Watch came out, but uh, being the tightwad that I am, I wasn't prepared to pay 250 to 300 pounds for, for an Apple Watch. So I waited until the Series 1 and 2 were launched, and uh, I've been keeping an eye on the second-hand market. And, uh, of course, also looking to have some money in my pocket. But as luck would have it this week, uh, I had a small dividend payment, and uh, I discovered a chap who was selling his original Apple Watch, quote-unquote, Series Zero, for £150. Um, and it's a black 42 millimeter sports version with the black band, which was exactly the model I wanted. And uh, it was only four miles away from me. So that was another bonus. So in the car, I hopped, drove to his house, handed him the Wonga, and came home the proud owner of a new Apple Watch. Well, new to me, obviously. And uh, I've had it about three days now, and I'm still tinkering with the 
settings, but I have to say I am really, really enjoying it. Have you used Apple Pay on it yet? Uh, I'm afraid my bank doesn't support Apple Pay. Oh, no. So I'm I'm unable to, uh, and, and nor does my credit card either. Not that I've got any money left on my credit card, but you know what I mean? Uh, none of my cards support Apple Pay, so I'm denied, denied the experience of using Apple Pay, which is somewhat galling, I have to admit. Ed, I cannot tell you just how... I'm just, how much I love using Apple Pay. And I know it's just the same. I could get the card out of my wallet. But just going to the shops recently, especially around our sort of 18th century, oh my God, you've got to watch. You must be, you know, must be a witch burn at the stake. The amount of people says, oh, no, I, I wouldn't like that because, you know, people can just come in, tap your, tap your watch and nick money off you. And you go, well, no, actually, I have to double tap it. And then you show them that and they go, oh, Wow. There's even one guy in the shop who said he wouldn't ever use contactless payments because of the Android phones being so insecure, which I thought was quite uh, an interesting interesting point to have. Uh, I, I, I loved my watch. How was the OS uh, in terms of scrolling? Because when I had my Series 0 and they released Watch OS 2, I think it was, it wasn't quite as fast and fluid as... It was on the original. How are you finding that? Does it, does it feel like 60 frames a second or whatever it goes up? Uh, well, I have very little to compare it to, obviously, but um, it updated itself to uh, Watch OS 3.2 uh, the morning after I bought it. Um, and I have to say, for what I've done, I've not noticed any stuttering or obvious uh, sluggishness. It seems what you might call silky smooth to me. So, uh, no, I have no complaints. Uh, I did read, obviously, before I bought it, that OS, uh, Watch OS 3 was supposed to make massive improvements in speed and behavior compared to the previous Watch OS. So maybe I've just skipped over the not-so-good versions. It has gotten a lot better. It really has. not now... It's weird. It runs out of charge and I just forget to charge it. Not because of any laziness. It, I just have, it just seems to last forever and ever and ever. And I keep forgetting to put it on my stand at night because I literally just get bed, go to bed with it on, which I now shouldn't really do, wake up and it's still got plenty of power to get me through. Um, and it seems to be all right on the old activities as well. Although I did have a bit of a scare this week when I came back for a ride and I was using uh, Strava on my watch. I clicked save, got home, got showered, got changed, did all that usual stuff, went onto Strava, no activity. Uh, I'm thinking I've just cycled to within an inch of my life and I've lost all of that information. And, and there's on the Apple watch, there's no way to force a sync nowhere at all. So the only thing I could think to do was start an activity for a few seconds, walk around, stop the activity, and then hopefully it would push both of them up, and it did. But that was quite a, a worrying moment. But I've got to say, the fitness stuff is uh, seems to be working. Have you done the old walking for 20 minutes to synchronize so it starts measuring all your stats and everything? No because I'm an unhealthy middle-aged man and I don't want to know about it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want it to tell me that I'm unfit and unhealthy and my heart is going at 200 miles an hour. No, I don't want to know that. So, uh, no. (laughs) Ignorance is indeed bliss. Well, this this will link us seamlessly on to our next story from Apple, looking into watch bands with added functionality. At the moment, the bands offered for the Apple Watch are pretty much purely for aesthetic reasons, which makes sense given that Apple has positioned the watch as more of a fashion accessory than your average tech gadget. However, what if in the future Apple Apple Watch bands were more functional? Apparently, that is an an idea that Apple is exploring according to a recently discovered patent in which Apple has come up with various ideas for a more functional band for the Apple Watch. In Apple's patent, it talks about how the bands of the Apple Watch could be used to display information 
alert users notifications, reminders, or even show the progress of something like a stopwatch, percentage of downloads, steps taken, and so on. The buttons won't be stuffed with display, but rather it talks about using it as an indicator in which only the portion of the band will be lit up. Now, this is the first time that this has been suggested that Apple may want to make the bands more functional, as a patent suggested last year that Apple was considering moving the haptic motor into the band itself, possibly resulting in a thinner Apple Watch from Uber Gizmo. That doesn't make sense to me, because they turn the screen off to save battery, and now they want to put a second screen screen in a band, which is obviously then going to use the battery. um, They're right. This isn't the first time that patents have surfaced about Apple doing things with the band. And um, uh, Samsung, one of their early ones, I think, had some bits and bobs in the band, didn't it? A, a, a camera or... Oh, that was the or a gear, I think or it was. Um, yeah, they, one. yeah, they did the whole smartwatch with, look, it's got a camera. Look, you can watch video. Look, you can make a photo. Oh, no, you can't. The battery's dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I, I don't think it's as stupid an idea as you you know, as it might seem on the surface, because if you, if you're talking there about, for example, like a a progress bar, you might be thinking about, you know, I I could imagine that being done. I mean, imagine like the fluoroelastomer strap that, you know, most of us have. Imagine a a small row of, you know, OELEDs or whatever they are. Uh, Yeah. LED. Yeah. OLEDs. Yeah. Indicators. And, and say there was a series of 10, a bit like the battery indicator on the side of your MacBook. And, you know, say you were doing something, I don't know, a timer or whatever, that those would, you know, either fill up or yeah, it, turn it, off. And, you know, those are going to use tiny, tiny amounts of power. Um, and, of course, you know, there's nothing to say that you couldn't stick a bit of battery in the in the strap. I mean, look to, at it in the original page. Yeah, I mean, look at it in the original patent. It doesn't seem so much as a display, more uh, iconography. So it has one of the bands. It has a picture of a man running and a picture of a man swimming, which could be handy if you're doing triathletes. But then, is that just a? Can you press on it? Can you touch it? Um, anything like that? It's. I don't know because if you're going to look at what's on the wrist you've got to raise your wrist anyway. So unless they're looking at ways of having more information when you lift up your wrist, I don't know. I'm struggling. Well, like I do in most things, I'm struggling to sort of see what would be the difference between just looking at the watch face, really. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from, Mark, but I, I also think and have thought for some time that if you're going to talk about putting things on your wrist, um, there is a limited amount of space in a sensibly sized watch, isn't there? You know, unless you're going to go to the tuna can on the wrist uh, kind of format, there's a there is a limit to the amount of stuff that you can put in a watch, and I think actually making use of the strap to me, seems quite logical. Now, what use you put it to, I couldn't say. I mean, maybe you could put sensors in there rather than on the body of the watch. Maybe you could put uh, extra things, you know. Maybe you could put a, a body temperature thermometer. You could put yeah, uh, ex- extra battery. You might. I mean, you could say, all right, maybe, maybe they might say, well, why don't we shift the um the pedometer for example you know the the gyroscope or or something into the band thus freeing up room in the body of the watch for something else uh they're all possibilities i i wouldn't rule it out at the same time i wouldn't rule it in um that strikes me as a typical apple as we said before a typical apple here's an idea best we patent that you know uh as the as we've said before, the whole American patent system 
you know, almost demands that if you have any sort of idea, no matter how wild or fanciful, that you run straight to the patent office with it. You know, uh, I, I get the impression that if Johnny Ive wakes up having dreamt of the most fantastic unicorn-powered device in the world, he scribbles it down and sends it straight to the patent office. So Apple patent a lot of things that go nowhere, uh, which is something we'll probably come back to a bit later on as well. I suppose it wouldn't be too far out of the way where maybe the battery technology is getting there, so you could have a strap that has a battery on there, but then oh, you start getting into the messy world of what happens if the uh, if the battery you, you get hot and the strap gets hot, and then you've got a battery on your wrist. But anyway, you'll be in the world now of looking for third-party Apple Watch bands. And just to give an update on my L cheapo knockoff Milanese Loop, uh, it's still working. I paid twelve pound for a Milanese Loop, and it's all right. I wanted the black sports watch with the black band, and that's exactly what I've got. And I have to say that it's fabulously comfortable, uh, which everybody always says. But I, I don't know that it's on my wrist. I really don't. And uh, as for charging it, uh, I basically charge it at night when I go to bed. And because I've spent the last couple of years using um, an iPod Nano as a watch, that's like, habitual i simply plug in my phone and my watch when i get in the bed so i don't think i'm going to have any problems there yeah i i don't notice it at all either i've got to say i would the only thing i would say that the milanese loop uh that i've got you do end up sort of fiddling with it just to make it a little bit more tighter and a bit more snug but that's really uh about it now this next story i don't know when this was put up and i'm hoping it wasn't on uh, April the 1st, because that was an interesting day for Apple News, where the Financial Times says Apple's new product, the product that has not been released, mentioned, or even alluded to, is mixed reality headset is at least a year away. Microsoft seems to have taken their foot off the accelerator with the HoloLens project when the next version of the device be rumoured head to market in 2019. According to the Financial Times, Apple's own mixed reality headset is still at least a year away perhaps much longer. Keep fishing, is what I'm going to say to Financial Times here. <laughs> this is despite um, Apple having been examining the technology for more than a year. God, this story is getting worse. And devoting more resources to the effort, according to Financial Times. Oh, people, people familiar, familiar with... With the matter, or in yeah. this case, the company's <laughs> plans, yes. Uh, and then we go into the rumours. I think we can leave that for people to... Uh, check out for themselves that said we have a similar story from the cult of mac um apple has a host of engineers dedicated to building and testing different augmented reality headsets and according to a new report they're getting a lot more resources to turn it into a consumer product um i did mention this some time ago whether i mentioned it on the show or whether i mentioned it in in the chat i don't recall but do you recall me saying i i posted the story saying mr scoble had said that apple are working on some augmented reality glasses yes it rings a bell and at the time everybody was scoffing because it was mr scoble now i said obviously you have to take these things with a pinch of salt but I, I could see it. I could see that because Tim Cook has mentioned many times that he's far more interested in augmented reality than he is in virtual reality because Apple are about bringing people together and, and you know empowering people, whereas virtual reality, I'm sure it has a great future in a whole slew of kind of vertical markets, be that gaming or engineering training or medical training, that sort of thing. But it's not really a spectator sport or a group experience, is it? No, no. Whereas augmented reality could be used to do any number of things. You know, I mean, Google had a thing, didn't they, for the phone where you could, if you were on holiday – 
for example, and you didn't understand the sign on the wall, you could hold your cat, you know, hold your phone up, point the camera at the sign, and Google would translate it from, say, German into English for you on the screen. So all those sort of things are clever, but in reality, <laughs> in reality, see what I did there. Well, the, if the I had the rim high, it would be playing. If you're, if you're talking about augmenting reality with additional visual signals, where are you going to want that information? You're going to want it in front of your eyes, aren't you? So glasses really is the only, the only way to go. I don't, I don't see any other sensible way you would do it. Well, the thing with augmented reality, we've sort of been here and tried it. Uh, in fact, this is back way, way when I was on the Mac and Forth show. Uh, is it Yelp? I think it was where you could go onto a map view and you literally just had like the camera view. And then on top of the camera, you'd have lots of little dots with the name of like, say a restaurant or a cafe yep. or something like that. And it yep. would tell you where to work. And you get the ideas behind it, but that never really seemed to take off anywhere else unless somebody painted it somewhere and they couldn't use that in technology. I, I think that the, I won't say it didn't go anywhere. I think it, it, at the time, it was too clunky and they were attacking the wrong market to some extent. I, I know why Yelp or Yellow Pages or somebody would do that, but I just get the impression, why would you want to walk down the street holding your camera, you know, your phone in front of you, panning round to to get a load of Yellow Pages adverts? Yeah saying, come into my Chinese restaurant, it's the best restaurant there is. And, you know, we get bombarded enough. I don't think many people would be up for that. Um, on the other hand, Pokemon Go, of course, was uh, very successful, even if possibly for a short-lived time. But, you know, that was an augmented reality game. And um, I believe there was another one, a sort of treasure hunt game where people would run around cities following clues and discovering non-real treasures as in they only existed in the augmented reality so it's like world so, of warcraft <laughs> but no I, I i think there is a possibly a big future in augmented reality but i don't think I don't think on your phone is where it's going to reside, not in the long term. In the short term, it might start out there with a few apps, but if it's going to become a pervasive technology, it will be something that most of us, whether it's glasses or whether it's some sort of, you know, mini projector that you wear, you know, I don't know. Yeah, some sort of overlay on something. But just scaling it back a little bit, I'm trying I I went I went for a cycle this week and I used my iPhone to get me from here to work. I know it sounds stupid, but I took a different route. But I still for the life cannot work out how you orientate yourself. So it says proceed straight on for a hundred yards. Okay, but what direction am I walking? North, east, south, or west? So you have to start walking in a general direction and then wait for the blue dot to move before you can work out if you're actually heading in the right direction. And that and that's a sort of really small... And Google Maps is just as bad for this, or unless it's just maybe me. Feel free to let me know what I'm doing wrong on the old Twitter or the Facebook or whatever. It's another thing. I It would sort of make sense because, you know, Apple are almost becoming a fashion brand now. Like You look at the watch and how that's gone. You look at the iPhone, which you could definitely say is a tech fashion accessory in many, many ways. 
going into glasses, though, uh, they would have to be so careful the way that they've done it because we've sort of been here before with those Google glasses. Now, yes, granted, that was more for recording video as you went along the way in your world. But would the would there be a need for a camera on these augmented reality glasses? Would it again? Is this another extension of CarPlay where it would use the phone again as the the modular the modular core and project that onto something? I obviously I you know I'm no visionary technical expert. I'm no Johnny Ive, but I mean my in my view whether it was a pair of glasses or whether it was something you wear much like now you might wear a Bluetooth earpiece, which had, you know, something that magically projected something into your vision. Um, I think it would have to have a camera because how else is it going to see where you're looking? Yeah. Gyro sensors, having a link to... uh but I think yes, I would. I would very much expect it to not be self-powered. That it would make use of your phone, of your iPhone. That this would be like the watch, an extension of iOS, an extension, an augmentation, haha, uh-huh, of your iPhone experience. Because. Otherwise, I just can't. If you had it, if it was all onboard processing, I just don't. I I can't see how you would get it to last long enough. Yeah, it's no good. I mean, for example, um, was it Snapchat have brought out those spectacles, haven't they? You with a with a recording camera on. I mean, blimey, you've got it. There's also one other thing here is like you could just imagine when the whole Pokemon thing was going on. Uh, you had all these kids walking into the street blindly with their iPhones in their hand. Can you imagine what the attention deficit disabled, oh, but the ADD uh, generation of today? Oh, my Lord, I really am sounding like an old man. The, the the kids of today being even more distracted by things popping up in front of them on glasses. There's also one other aspect here that you've sort of just touched on that. Let's say Apple goes into they make it a more traditional desktop um, desktop implementation. There's one very, very big problem with that is Apple doesn't have a decent graphics card. They just don't have the traditional GPU power to be able to deal with anything like that. So unless they've got something going on in the background where they're actually going to have a good refresh of their Mac hardware, which hopefully one day might happen, that just that seems to me the the the, the biggest missing link of it all. Um, I don't know how much graphic power do you really need to overlay information in a kind of heads up display. I mean, for example, Mark, your uh, example there of using the iPhone to navigate. Imagine if instead of having to hold your phone and have that, imagine that if, you know, on your heads up display, you had some little pointers and maybe a compass, you know, a bit like a fighter pilot might see, not completely covering your vision, just, just simply there in the same way as, you know, we have a dashboard on a car, which gives us information. Uh, and I don't think you need vast amounts of graphical power for that. Again, you could probably get away with CarPlay, and maybe that's uh, a bit of Apple's play is to say, right, well, you know, CarPlay works in a car, but now you're basically projecting the innards of an iPhone onto a device that's half capable. That seems to me like the way to possibly do it if the battery constraints uh, can be overcome, because obviously that's going to require, you know, the as anyone who's got an iPhone knows, if you want to kill your battery, all you've got to do is turn on Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and make sure you've got one app set to always use your location, and you're looking at grazing your iPhone for the best part of the day. Mm. I mean, I I could imagine, how about, and this might sound you know, very dorky, but imagine, for example, that it, it wasn't a pair of glasses, but it was, say, some kind of 
baseball cap where, you know, the battery could be stashed somewhere in the band, headband, that the that the, on the peak of the cap, for example, maybe there was a, you know, a few millimetres deep strip of screen that could display information. I don't know. I really don't. Um, but I really do think that augmented reality is going to be a big tech battleground. And as Cult of Mac uh, said, you know, Apple isn't the only company racing to build an AR headset. Silicon Valley's mysterious mad startup Magic Leap is supposedly aiming to get a head-worn computer out by the end of 2017. Um, that's going to be a bit of a struggle, I think, because at the moment they've basically got a desktop computer in a backpack, I think. <laughs> and, that's practical. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, a, a GI's belt of ammunition for batteries in order to power it. But that said, people do, you know, these things do move on. I'm sure the original mobile phone was probably the size of a suitcase. Or at least um, every, everyone remembers seeing that first mobile phone advert with that guy. Everyone remembers him. Well, I'll tell you what, this seems as good as any point now. Uh, I need to get a drink of water and probably a cup of tea as well. So let's take a very quick break and head on over to Nemo's hardware store. So we're going to be back in about three minutes, ten seconds. So, John, over to you. I've never been a fan of keyboard covers. And a lot of people use them and recommend them for their MacBook Pro and their other portable computers. And recently I was typing on one with a client of mine and it was kind of sticky and kind of yucky. I just didn't like the feeling. It seemed worse than the problem it was trying to be a solution for. Well, we've received a couple of keyboard covers from a company called EasyQuest, E-Z-Q-U-E-S-T. And we will have the links in our show notes plus the information on where to purchase in your country. In the U.S., the prices are in the $25 to $30 range. The one I was using today is called the Keyboard Cover Fits Both U.S. and European Keyboards. This one is specifically designed for the new MacBook Pro, the 2016 one with the touch bar. And I tried it on my 2015 MacBook Pro, and it works for that also. So you can use it on the older MacBook Pro, and it exposes your function keys, and you will not need to get another keyboard cover when you upgrade to your 2016 or later laptop Mac with the touch bar. The other one I received has the Photoshop shortcuts on it. So these are the two that I've got. The typing feels good. It feels really nice because it's more plastic than rubber. I don't know what it's actually made of, but it has a very nice feeling. You can actually hear the tapping of the keys. So you don't feel anything different. The pressure is just right, but there's a slight sound of tapping. Full accuracy, fully responsive, sort of like a capacitive touch cover on your iPhone, or your iPad, using that as an analogy. Sometimes in a lab situation or a classroom situation or a doctor's office, somewhere where different people are touching the keys over and over again, or you're in a place where it's gooey or gloppy or yucky, and you just want to protect your keys. And when you're talking about Photoshop shortcuts, there are so many that it's nice to have the colored keyboard cover. Let's have a look at that one. Lasso tool, slice tool, eyedropper, dodge tool, pen tool, decrease brush size, increase brush size. That's just a tiny cluster over on the right side. So it tells you exactly what they are. And there are color coding to let you know for different opacity, different brushes. Those of us who use Photoshop have most of these keys remembered, but in a teaching situation or a learning situation, or if people cannot remember what key goes where, this could be really helpful. It is both plasticky and rubbery. I'm holding it in my hand now without being on top of the keys, and it's real wiggly and jiggly, but then when you set it down on the keys, it's quite firm. So I think they've done a nice job. Consider the EasyQuest keyboard covers, and they come in different colors and We'll have the master link for that, for all of their different colors and different languages also. So thank you, EasyQuest, for providing these for our review here on Essential Apple, Nemo's Hardware Store. 
Back next week. Once again, John, thank you very much. And you'll be able to find all of the Easy Quest stuff on our website with, of course, our Amazon affiliate link. I've said it once, but I'll say it again. If you click on the link, it will take you to Amazon. Sorry to those people out there who don't like Amazon. I completely get where you're coming from. It's just for us right now, it's the best way we can support the show and keep things going. The Easy Quest Invisible Keyboard Cover, the Adobe Photoshop uh, Shortcut Keyboard Cover, you can all see easyquest.com and like I say, there is a link there in the show notes that will be in your podcast player or indeed on centralapple.com. And of course, I can't say thank you to the Amazon people without saying a massive, huge, huge thank you to all of those people on the Patreon who squirrel away a little bit of money to us every month for less than a price of a coffee where you have the pleasure of waiting in line for 20 minutes to get served something which is only lukewarm that you drink in a fraction of the time and it's probably all gone by the time you've left the coffee shop. So thank you to everyone. Now this week is, it's starting to become a bit of a week of plan obsolescence because iOS 10.3 dropped this week with a feature of letting you see what 32-bit device, what 32-bit applications are on your phone that might cause you issues. And I haven't got this one to work. And if I find it on the show notes, you can tell it's got to that point in the show already while I'm scrolling through the show notes. Was it you go to start settings about uh, applications or it'll be in the show notes and it will give you a list of all the 32-bit applications where when you run it, it will say this application has not been optimized, blah, blah, blah. You may experience performance degradation, degradation even. I'm lucky so far, touch word, I've only had this happen with one app, but as much as I support this whole planned get rid of all the gump out of the App Store stuff, I'm slightly gutted because it's my favourite app. It's Radium, which is a uh, radio streaming player thingy. Uh, and I like it because it's just got a really nice, simple iOS interface. Uh, but no, that is, yep, yeah, that could be gone from the App Store. Have, have you had any apps where it's come up with that warning and you might have to start thinking that you're going to have to start looking for alternatives? Um, bizarrely, I've, I've checked mine. I've got a, I've got a few uh, that are marked as 32-bit, uh, many of which are sort of toys. I've got a marble maze game that, um, that doesn't appear to have been updated in years. Um, and uh, I've got a, a drawing app called Number 2, uh, based on the American number two pencil, I believe. Uh, but I don't think I've ever even used it. I bought it, I think, when I when apps first came out, and I don't think I've ever used it. Um, but bizarrely, marked in my thing, is the Microsoft Office. Really? Yes. Well, well that's my done as 32-bit app. Office is marked as a 32-bit app. Um, and the other one that I found slightly surprising was Team the Team Viewer client, uh, which I don't use very often because trying to use Team Viewer on your phone is not really very uh, you you great use experience. it yeah you use it, it at a pinch it used it to push it could be yeah. used it to push and you know uh, as I've said before uh, it's a Team Viewer is a really great service and available to use for free. So it, it's a great thing to have, um, but it's it, it's currently a 32-bit app. Now, I'm pretty sure, obviously, that two of those, I'm surprised that they're not already uh, 64-bit, but I'm sure that they will. That's really uh, surprising about Office, considering... Uh, how Microsoft are trying to push Windows uh, 10 to be 64-bit only in a horrifically uh, aggressive way. Uh, that's that's bonkers. That that has actually blown my little mind. Yeah, strange. But I'm sure it will go 64-bit in time for the transition, you know. But that is, I was very surprised to find those. Two, I mean, you know, the other ones that are not on my phone are, as I say, toys tool was showing up as 
32 bit. Uh, that has seriously, <laughs> that's actually got me lost uh, a little bit lost for words. I've, I've got to say, it's. Uh, I've been thinking on this one all week, and I think as hard as it's going to be, and as hard as it's going to affect some developers, I think it needs to happen. And I'm glad, in a way, that Apple are starting to enforce some restrictions to keep apps present and updated. Because, you know, what is the point of updating iOS to be, you know, slim and efficient and as power uh, as power conservative as it possibly can be when you've got apps that will you know, literally undo all of that hard work? So, and plus, you know, we don't want to be in a situation where, you know, uh, what, I think it was this, was it this year that Windows 7 support finally ended? Or, no, sorry, it's v- Windows Vista. So, I, I do have sympathy for developers and people that will have one of those apps that you will load up and it doesn't work. But the, I suppose on the flip side, at least we're not like in the Android store where the situation is a lot worse. And when I had my limited time with an Android phone, I was finding that this app is not certified to work with your device. And so you'd find a really good app and realize you couldn't use it. So we are being introduced to that world. If it keeps things up to date, and we don't lose too much. I think that's a good thing. I would like to see Apple be a little bit more pushing with people to, and I keep raving on about this, like Replay Kit, where you could stream games online. I'm really, really surprised that there's not been more take up of that, or indeed, you know, games that promote the use, yeah, that they're using metal. Uh, that's really, really surprised me as well. So hopefully this might be a little bit of the way to say, well, you know, if, as a developer, maybe they're going to start baking in tools to say, right, you have to use this stuff rather than just relying on pushing things out and we, we end up with a, a massive load of shovelware. Hopefully. Uh, but again, this is almost seamless this week, Simon. This leads us nicely on to... Uh, do you remember a few months ago there was that pay quick thing or there was that really weird QR based system for paying for stuff that was in rival with Apple Pay? It's so memorable I can't remember the name of it. Oh, vaguely. Vaguely. And everybody laughed because it was it was farcical. You had to get your phone out, photograph the QR code, wait for something else. Do yeah, it was like really? Yeah, that's is that we, the one? Yes. Yeah, we all remember. Oh, yeah, we remember that. We just <laughs> we remember it and we try to forget about it. Well, it seems like uh, Esso have <laughs> they've sort of jumped on the ba- uh, the iOS app mobile payment system. So Esso have launched launched SpeedPass Plus, an iOS app for mobile payments at the pump. How does SpeedPass Plus work? I don't know why they call it SpeedPass Plus. Oh, well, that, that needs a pop filter. It sounds good. Too many buzzwords. Do you want to Go know how it works? Go on then, tell me. Right, so users first download the app, then you add a credit card to the app, such as Visa, MasterCard, American Express, RBC, SO Visa, Visa, or an SO gift card to the app. No mention, no word here of Apple Pay. You can also add your SO Extra Points or Aeroplan Miles card as well. Next, you select the gas and the grade you want, the amount if you want a car wash, and then the payment is processed via the cloud. Instead of tapping at the pump with NFC or scanning barcodes, users get to select a numbered pump that they are located at with the iPhone's camera scanning the pump's QR code. Then authorise mobile payments through a data connection. Users will be then be required to confirm purchases with a four-digit passcode. Doesn't that seem like something where you would just want to tap your phone? Because I can. It's bad enough these days. You get some blinking idiot who takes forever to fill up their car and then decides to go and do their entire grocery shopping in the supermarket of the petrol station. That really does upset you, doesn't it? It that does. Really does. That's not the first time you've mentioned that, Mark. Either <sighs> that, or you've got a lot of hippies who live near you who have old Citroen 2CVs, and then they putter to the p- petrol station, fill up with gas, and then go in and buy a load of wholemeal bread and 
brown rice or something. Oh, there was a stupid woman filling up her car yesterday and she took for blinking over and I was hot and I was tired and I was cranky. And so she puts a card in, takes all the fuel and then puts a, yeah, puts the nozzle back. Then she decides that she wants to give her car a quick clean to get any, like the, the, the milliscule amount of diesel off her car. And she just takes forever. And then when she's done all that, and bearing in mind, bearing in mind, she's just paid at the pump. Then she decides that she wants to go into the shop to go and get something. And you just think, why could you not have just done this all in one go? And you know what the real killer is? Said petrol station with small shop is right next to a massive supermarket. (laughs) (sighs) You tell I have turned 40. Never Damn mind. Kids and their Never rap music. Uh, what <laughs> have we got? My lawn. That's the one. Right. What have we got? Uh, what have we got next? Because we're running close on time here. We've got a couple more stories. We'll come back, I think, to the Neural Link uh, network stuff. We'll do that next week. Uh, there's a. Uh, this would. We'll finish off with this one. There's a backdoor access to WhatsApp. Rudd's calls are just a hazy grasp of encryption, according to The Guardian. Proving yet again that politicians have no idea what encryption is or how it works. The Guardian. Uh, oh, blimey. We've just double copied and pasted there. The UK Home Secretary wants to be able to access WhatsApp, but any backdoors also make it vulnerable to criminals. This was, of course, following the tragic events that happened where some idiot decided to go and blow himself up and other people and was using WhatsApp to orchestrate. Well, he was using WhatsApp. They're not entirely sure if he was using it to orchestrate what he was doing, but he was using it. And we're back into this old debate of privacy versus what is our expectation of privacy because if, as we said the week before if you use Skype, Skype have got a way or sorry, Microsoft have got a way uh, to if they want to, read your messages, which I, I'm sort of okay with because you sign up for it and you know if you're going to get up to anything naughty there are better ways than a like an app. If, you, if anyone thinks these major I am apps are really, really secure, maybe with the exception of iCloud. Oh, that reminds me. Um, was there any comeback on the story this week where apparently millions of iCloud accounts had been hacked and Apple had only a certain amount of time to pay up, or did that one just go under the radar? Um, well, I've I've heard about it. Uh, it was discussed quite a lot. Of course, the Turkish crime family, as they describe themselves, uh, asked for some strange amount of money, 750000 I think, and uh, or a hundred grand in iTunes cards. Uh, they didn't really come across as a serious threat. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> the credibility is somewhat be, dubious you know, there. But they were a bit Dr. Evil, aren't they? I'm going to hold the world to ransom for $10 million. Uh, yeah, Dr. Evil, that's not very much money. Ten million. It's a huge amount of money. <laughs> uh, not anymore, sir. You know, sev- why $750,000? Uh, it's a and good round number, I suppose. It just it sounded more like a bunch of kids in their bedrooms. Oh, let's let's ask for a hundred and a hundred grand in iTunes cards. Yeah, which are like individually tagged so that the second you spend one, you're busted. No, yeah. uh, that doesn't. No, sorry. Um, one of those things where somebody didn't quite think it through. I don't. The consensus, of course, I don't know anything. Uh, you know, I really don't know anything about it. But I think the general consensus is that we've got some people who've managed to socially engineer or break into a few uh you know apple ids by the usual means of figuring out what people's passwords are or some other you know not particularly difficult means and then they've said here's our proof we've got millions of these give us some money or else um if it was true and it took down a load of accounts, then, yeah, Apple would have severe egg on their face, wouldn't they? But 
I've not heard much more about it. And uh, I'm pretty sure that it's all, a, you know, a storm in a teacup and that nothing will come of it. No, it did. It, was, it just seemed to be, oh, hang on. It's a bit of a quiet day. Let's jump on this story without really, really uh, fact, fact checking things. I think it, yes, it's very much a, oh, let's make a big story out of this where on a busy day, wouldn't even got a mention. Yep. The, okay, we are, blimey, we are right up against the wall on time. We're going to, Dougie has pointed out in the chat room, just to follow up on this, many readers are understandably concerned about recent moves by the US Congress that would roll back privacy issues, barring broadband internet service providers from sharing or selling customer browsing history amongst other personal data. Some are concerned enough by this development that looking at obfuscating all of their online browsing by paying for a subscription to a VPN service this is this piece is intended to serve as a guide for contemplating such a move thanks dougie that will be in the show notes as well uh, we have got a little bit here about vpns and i think we'll cover that next week so i want to spend a bit of time having a look at that as well because i've got a feeling i might be needing a vpn at work very soon for work stuff uh, who knows? And plus, I want to see how secure uh, our network is. Uh, there's another... I don't know if... The, hopefully, this wasn't done on the 1st of April, where Apple hints at the return of a MagSafe connector. Uh, one of Apple's greatest innovations was a MagSafe connector for its laptops, where thanks to a magnetic connection, it only takes a target to connect it. Correct. Really, really miss it. In a nutshell, it's basically a USB-C to MagSafe connector. Can connector, connector adapter, uh, which I don't. Really, it looks a bit big and a bit clunky for what it is, but who knows? There are a load of third-party USB MagSafe adapters available. Uh, we will have that in the show notes. Uh, yeah, we'll probably have them in there today. Uh, and you know what? Because we're right up against the wall, we're going to have a nice short one today, so we can actually go and enjoy some like yellow thing in the sky. Oh, yes. okay. uh, oh uh, no, hang I, on. Yep, I'd just like to pop in my uh, app session of the week. Yep, I was just uh, about to come, like you beat me to it. Uh, and I, my pick this week is Able Black iOS game from the iOS store, obviously. Um, this is a puzzle game. Basically, it's a, a story about, uh, about a self-aware android. Um, and it's a novel with intermittent puzzles and occasional what should I, you know, the usual do you want to kill him, do you want to let him go kind of questions. Uh, it's quite philosophical and existential, to be honest, and the puzzles do require some lateral thinking. Um, it's currently free, uh, so it's well worth a look because I'm really liking it. Uh, I don't have a, a new pick, but I'm going to keep banging on about this one. Ferrite for iOS has just had some uh, lovely, lovely updates. If you've ever wanted to do any audio editing, like podcast editing, I think would be the best uh, way to uh, to do it. If you're a paid up member, it will now automatically do sound leveling when you bounce the audio out. So I might give that a try because at the moment... I'm having to use a paid service, so I'm going to give that a go and see what happens. Well, that's it for today. Sorry, it's been a bit of a rush show. We had a few technical issues uh, on both of our sides because, once again, Simon's not content with being miserable in his life uh, unless he has a new beta causing him an immense amount of stress and woe. And for some reason, I couldn't get wire working either. So... First up, Simon, thank you very much for coming on on a Sunday afternoon. I know you're incredibly busy today to give it me time to do a show. It's much appreciated. Thank you. That's not a problem, Mark. Um, and uh, as usual, it's been a pleasure. And if they want to get hold of you, how can they get hold of you on that there interweb twitty type thing? Okay. Well, the quickest way to reach me is to use Twitter. And I am at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Uh, we do, of course, have our Google Plus community and we have our Twitter and there's EssentialApple.com. And of course, if anybody wants to join us in the Slack, they can just drop us a line. 
Yep. And if you want to, you can find this show on iTunes, Opinion, Overcast, Google Play, a direct download, RSS, Fireside, and our new podcasting host, Pinecast. And, oh, blimey, I suppose I better give a, a small bit of a, an apology to all of you that may have found that more shows appeared in your feed than you were expecting this week. Uh, that's because I flipped the switch. We're now hosting fully with Pinecast, uh, and I'm not quite sure what happened. So really, really sorry about that. But if you can share us, if you can tweet out the show, if you can do a retweet from our EssentialApple.com, uh, sorry, EssentialApple Twitter account, it would be mega, mega appreciated. And time's already covered where you can get hold of us. So all that means to do is say thank you very much again for listening and letting us occupy some 40-odd megabytes of space on your device. This has been the Essential Apple Show, and we will see you next week. Bye! Yeah, I think just a straight ad, don't you? Yeah. Like what? What would we say? Like Tech Fan Podcast or... Are you are you interested in technology and gadgets? Uh-huh. Do you um, want to listen to two guys who know technology and gadgets? Are we claiming to be those guys? Yes. <laughs> well, there, there we go. Are we claiming to be, the, be those guys? You be the judge. Tech Fan Podcast. No, yeah, that'll work. Let's yeah? use that as yeah? an ad. <laughs>